All right, welcome back to a Big Ten Champions Edition. Real talk, Jeff here. Dan, what's going on, dude? Oh, the 43rd Conference Championship was declared on December 4th, 2021. And uh, yeah, man, it's I'm, I'm still on my feels. I'm not as emotional as I was on Sunday on the way home or after the game, but I'm I'm still on cloud nine, man. Yeah, this has been um, I've had a lot of time to just think about these last couple weeks. And, you know, for me personally, uh, Michigan has been playing. And we'll talk about this later, but this is the best Michigan team that I've seen in my fandom. And, you know, they, they've played better than any other team that I can think of um, as far as this late in the year. And uh, New England's playing really well, and I, I've ex- I've watched a, re- a lot of great football lately. But nothing has me more excited than than what I've seen on uh, the football field when it comes to Michigan on Saturdays. So, uh, lots to really be happy about, lots to really digest. It's one of those things where I've been trying to really soak it in and just understand what I'm watching and trying to not take it for granted. Uh, because before the season started, and we'll talk about preseason predictions later, but we didn't foresee this happening. So for it to come true and, and to see it uh, see it play out has been it's been it's been the most fun season I can uh, ever remember. So I know you talked about uh, on the live show we brought you on. We talked about your experiences at the at the Big Ten championship game. Uh, if you don't mind, maybe just share a few of those again. For those uh, that did not tune into the live show, obviously it was an NFL countdown episode. We just had to have you on um, later in that. But let's talk about Iowa. We we beat Iowa forty-two to three. Anybody that's listening to this knows all the all the all the statistics and stuff. Um, what what a huge game! Starts off fourteen to to nothing in the first quarter, and they ended up coasting to forty-two three. Um, what was your experience like before the game, during the game, after the game? Give us a give us a quick little rundown of your of your day in Indianapolis for the first time, dude. It was uh, it was it was once in a lifetime experience. And as soon as you know that that Ohio State game ended, my number one goal was to get a hotel first. I I, I had a pretty reliable connection to get four tickets to the, the to Indianapolis you know, in the chance of Michigan getting there. And that morning, you know, I, I get up, I, I drive over to my friend, jo- or our friend Josh's house, and you know, we drive out there. The ride was perfect, not a lot of traffic. And the hotel that I just happened to book on, it was, you know, it's literally the 16th hotel that I tried. I've failed 14, or excuse me, 15 times in a row and trying to land one because they're selling out so fast once Michigan solidified it. And it just happened to be in, on the one of the roads that leads in and out of downtown. So if you're familiar with like the Toledo area, like Rodan, Cherry Street, I mean, it was just a straight shot in and it was awesome. But anyways, I'll, I'll try to keep this short as sweet as possible. But, you know, being down there, uh, the bars, everything's packed. It's just like Woodstock times a billion. There's a live band and a stage going on. The convention center that you can walk into, do pump pass kick competitions. There was the Big Ten commissioner inside doing interviews. Jalen Rose was there doing photo ops and autographs. Uh, you had, you know, you know, beer, food, 
Big Ten apparel was being sold in through like throughout a trailer next to a Wendy's food truck. You know, everywhere was just super packed. And, you know, despite being December, it was still pleasantly decent outside weather-wise. And we finally got a table into one of the bars on there because it was like literally, you know, two-hour waits everywhere. And no one's going to go anywhere, if they're, especially if they're not going into the game. We filled our tum-tums up, walked in the stadium. It was, you know, not even a 10-minute walk. And we wanted to be there from start to finish, from pregame warm-ups to post ceremony awards so we get in there and um like i said when i called in on sunday i mean i would be lying to you if i didn't have if i was fighting tears from literally the, the second i sat in my seat to when i walked out of that stadium man it was so surreal and i felt like even if we were somehow to lose that game i would have walked out of there still glad i went you know because of just the experience part but man um just I mean, once in a lifetime, man, it's just so hard to explain the the sheer joy on people's faces. Uh, it was it was amazing. It was just amazing. And one final thing before, you know, uh, I'll wrap this part of the my, my take on the whole uh, experiencing is, you know, in front of us was a row of, uh, you know, eight to ten, you know, uncles, fathers, grandfathers, sons, dad, you know, whatever. And the one the one person I, I you know because when you're at a football game and your team scores obviously you turn around you start high-fiving people that you don't even know and Absolutely. his father that was in front of me he was probably a little older than me i'm 32 so he's probably a little he's uh close to 40 probably so he's he grew up watching michigan be dominant and now obviously the last 15 years have been kind of hard on us and he's there with his 10 11 year old son and right there in like mid third quarter, when it's starting to get, it's like 35, three, 28, three, and Michigan's starting to roll away with this thing. And you just see them just uh, respond to each other and, you know, them hugging each other. I mean, that's what football is all about. And that's when I called in, I was explaining this on Sunday. I was kind of, I was kind of choking up because man, it's just, it's just as, as especially fathers and, and us guys in general, man, football is our religion. And for most people, you know, in most cases, and uh, so that was just super you know, awesome to see. And I know a lot of people, too, they don't like to film a lot while they're at concerts or shows or games because they want to experience it. And I was doing both. I'm like, I have to film the victors being sang in the pregame. I got to film Jim Harbaugh hoisting up the trophy. And I did it. We did it. And uh, I could and I shared it with three other friends of mine. And it, and it was just great, man. It was great. Yeah, one thing I will uh, touch on before we get more into this Iowa game is just, you know, and I'm only bringing it up because of what you just talked about, you know. So my dad, when I was growing up, he wasn't a football fan. And I truly don't exactly remember where my fandom, like, just took off at. But I just remember, like, growing up in the state of Michigan just being a quote unquote Michigan fan. And there's there's a lot of other back you know backstories that we could be here for hours telling about why I, I you know I root for Michigan, so to speak. But like growing up, like I never watched any games. Like it just wasn't something we did in our house. We never watched football when I was growing up. Um but once I got to about eighth grade and I moved to the state of Ohio, um I it, it was kind of like that well I'm not just going to conform to Ohio because I live here. And I think that's probably what played into it. Just the fact of like, well, I'm from Michigan. So you guys all love Ohio state here. I love Michigan, even though I wasn't watching. And then I started to watch. And then my, 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 my love for football, 
um, grew and my love for Michigan grew over time. And my first like legit season where I watched at least all but maybe one game was 2006. Before that, I had watched maybe just like three or four total games. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot of people don't realize this about us. We met at a flag football, on a flag football team, but mm-hmm. our friendship, our friendship is based pretty solely around football, Michigan football specifically. Yeah. And, and obviously it's grown in other areas, but like, had I not be a Michigan fan, had you not be a Michigan, we may not be friends. We may not be recording a podcast here. And there's so much that goes into rooting for a football team and being committed to a football team. And one of those things is experiencing something that you were able to experience in person on Saturday and watching your team come away with, I don't want to say the ultimate goal, because we have a lot of goals that we still want to, we're going to talk about later, but, um, coming away two weeks in a row, accomplishing goals that we have not accomplished in a long time. And I'll digress here in a second, but um, ultimately I've been asked so many times. So this question never gets old. Jeff, why do you always watch football just to be hurt? Michigan, historically, we lose to Ohio state. We lose big games. Um, it, it it brings me down. It ruins my Saturdays. Why do you do this to yourself? Why do you, you know, Saturday and in, in, in two Saturdays in a row, I was able to have a feeling that made it all worth it. All the pain is erased. It's gone for those, for that feeling of winning that football game and feeling like, your dedication paid off everything that you, the reason you dedicate time to watch a flip a TV screen or go to a game, pay your hard earned money or to buy gear. Like we're both wearing <laughs> to do anything that revolves around the team. It all paid off on Saturday and it, it's paid off all season to be fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, back to, back to Iowa. What, a, what a huge win. Iowa's a great opponent. They were ranked 13th in the country. Um, great defensive team, not a lot to glamor over offensively. And, and it showed on Saturday, unfortunately, they weren't able to do much with the football. Uh, they looked extremely pedestrian, uh, Michigan struggled at times on offense, but for the most part, um, some big plays led to an early lead and they coasted to a, a big blowout victory. Um, where were you like directionally wise, uh, on the Blake Corum slash, um, Roman Wilson touchdowns because I believe they were in the same corner, correct? Would that have yeah, been to your so or to the far left? It would. It was to my left because they were they were scoring in. I believe Iowa's end zone and Iowa's end zone was my left and Michigan's was my right. Okay, so you're looking at like there. So that. So let's talk real quick about the the Blake touchdown. Were you able to see when you were watching JJ literally run past him, or was that something you didn't catch till the highlights? I I did not catch it until they showed it on the big screen. To be honest with you, and uh, yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, literally the dude's wheels. It, it, it's funny to watch the highlights back. Like, holy shit, he literally Corb's fast as hell. He ran past Corb to throw blocks, yeah. um, and then obviously the the Donovan Edwards pass. That ball's in the air. What's your immediately thought? Man, 
it was the, the lid of the stadium blew off and we were kind of high up in the nosebleeds. So like the sound was traveling differently for us. So then I feel like down in the lower bowl area, probably would have been a little bit louder in the lower bowl. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, dude, when he, when he run out and you see him set his feet, everyone stood up and the way the seats that are in our section were, we were pretty, uh, we're up on an incline. Like it's, it's not, it's like pretty steep. So you don't when you sit down, you don't have to like move your head to see over someone. So until he set his feet to throw the ball, we're all sitting. Then we all stood up, and then when he hit Roman Wilson in stride, it was a lot of f yeah was going on. Nah, I, man, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, everybody pretty much knows about the statistics of the game. We just talked about a couple of big plays there. What did you like outside of winning a Big Ten championship on Saturday? What stood out to you? Well, uh, just the, the sheer dominance. I know they jumped to 14 nothing, and it ended up going to 14-3 at, at halftime. <clears throat> and the second quarter was scoreless, so it seemed like there was kind of a, of a long drought there. But, um, you know, Michigan's defense, other than outside a few, a few uh, tight end seam passes and, and flat stuff, I mean, Michigan's defense did what, what they had to do, and Michigan's offense – you know, bread and butter, man. And so, not to, just like the Ohio State game, not a lot, not a lot to critique in a negative way, uh, for me personally. But you know, they did, they did their business, man. And you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, they they continued to start, you know, uh, moving the chains. We got a lot of the JJ. Uh, McCarthy Edwards show at the end of the fourth quarter there. And um, I believe Edwards got that last touchdown uh, over the goal line, but yeah, man, absolutely happy for him. And, you know, side note, I, I thought it was, was kind of cool that they ended up on 42 points uh, for Tate Myers number from the tragedy yeah. at uh, Oxford university. And yeah, we didn't, and it didn't just like uh, a lot of people too around the world that watched the game. I mean, for us, it wasn't until like on the on the car ride home from the stadium that we're like, oh wow, you just realized that that's the irony there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and real quick too, they. I mean, obviously everyone knows, but because you know, it wasn't just exclusive to the inside the stadium, but you know, obviously they brought Tate Myers' family there, and I thought, man, for for what happened, man, that's. I commend them for showing up there, whatever, to see that. And, you know, I don't know. I don't really think – can't assume they're all Michigan fans, whatever, but it was just cool that the Big Ten brought them there uh, and to honor them, man. That was, that was pretty special. Very cool. Uh, what I liked ultimately was the aggressive play calling, uh, seeing the the packages, the, the trick plays, things of that such nature. Um, those things have been a calling card all season. And it's something that we've continuously had on our more of the aggressive play calls or certain play plays that stood out to us. And um, that was big. And then also, I really like to see Blake Corum. He looks healthy. Um, when he broke the big one against Ohio State for that 55 yarder and he was caught from behind. Not to brag, but sorry, you're not catching Blake Corum from behind. He was still injured. Um, it was pretty clear. This time against Iowa, he's shifting. He's juking dudes out. Um, it, it was... I felt like Blake was was back to health. And actually, Joe Clad, I know you can't hear the commentary. I don't know if you've watched the game back, but Joe Clad after he scored, he's like, "Yeah, Blake's healthy again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, so, he, definitely, he definitely looked one hundred. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
Um, what'd you dislike? Obviously, again, anytime you get a big win, it's really hard to find something you dislike. But Well, I apologize. So I, when you asked me what I liked, I thought I thought we were still kind of talking about the general general of the game. Oh, so, go ahead. What did you like no, then? Fine. Specifics. <laughs> well, I, I did kind of touch on it, but specifically, uh, I like the execution um, on the play calls. And that comes down to the Donovan Edwards pass, which we kind of just talked about. And yeah. the offensive line play. House State game, uh, taking care of business, open up the holes. I know they didn't really break off other than Blake Corm's run. I know they didn't break off like a huge gain after that, but they still put up two over 200 on the ground. And then the punt block by Cornelius Johnson, which is his second of the season. So mm-hmm. those those uh, those three uh, characteristics, I thought they executed well. And I'll jump to my dislike. Uh, what I disliked was Iowa's success with a tight end. Uh, they had a lot of uh, up-the-seam stuff, like I kind of alluded to earlier. And I know they were trying to establish the run game so because they, they can do that bootleg stuff. And so there was a couple chunk plays that uh, Spencer Petras picked up before Padilla came in there. But uh, the only reason why I bring up the tight end thing that I'm, I'm disliking, because it honestly didn't really change the outcome of the game at all. You know, it was just outside a couple plays. But the reason why I bring it up is I know we're not going to talk about Georgia tonight. But Rick Bowers, Georgia's tight end, is phenomenal. He tore up Bama, and that's just something that's in the back of my head right now, just for in the future. So when we do talk Georgia, I th- I th- I'm pretty, I'm like 99% sure his name is Rick Bowers. But that is a name that um, I think we're going to hear uh, eventually. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was the fact that we threw two interceptions and four for 10 on third down. Again, I'm being nitpicky because anytime you you go into a big game and you win big, it's really hard to nitpick, but two interceptions. I'm sorry against a, and we're again, we're not talking Georgia today, but that's your next outing against one of the premier defenses in this country. You got to take care of the football. And for the most part, we've done that this year. Um, Saturday, we didn't, but we were able to get a a victory. Um, I'll go into more of it. Then I'll let you go. But uh, for me, uh, again, I I touched on the aggressive play calls, but still the new and exciting plays that we continuously see over these last couple weeks from Donovan Edwards. Um, you know, against Maryland three weeks ago, it, it was the it was the coming out party, the Donovan yeah. Edwards receive the receiver at Donovan Edwards that we had not seen. And it's like, oh shit. Oh okay, that's a whole different element that we had not even surfaced. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know how you watch back that 75-yard touchdown pass on Saturday and not realize that this kid is just incredibly special. Like, he threw that ball 50 yards in the air. I mean, it was a 70-yard, 75-yard touchdown pass. Roman only had to jog in the last 20 yards. That ball was beamed down the, down the sideline. I mean, I, dude's got a cannon. And, you know, I, obviously the, the Wolverine Facebook pages and the Twitters are – Oh boy, we have a QB conversation now next year between <laughs> Cade and and uh, JJ and Donovan Edwards. But truly, he threw a beautiful spiral, um, and it's something I, I want to see more of. More Donovan Edwards in these different roles that we just haven't seen him in. Like, let's just showcase all the talents. I mean, he had a plethora of different ways he was involved this year. All right, well, my more of. Um... If you if you like me too, do you want me to hit that Hassan Haskins stat after afterwards also? 
Sure. Okay. All right. Cheers to Mountain Dew. Uh, <laughs> for me, what is winning attitude and this culture that got revitalized in the offseason? We've talked about it all season, talk, talked about it in the preseason. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh, and it doesn't seem like it, and we, we talked about it a long time ago of, you know, why did it take till year seven to to really hone in on this Ohio State nonsense, this, not say nonsense, this Ohio State uh, uh, motto. Yes, absolutely. And I, I don't know if he was like taking every game, like an like a like an NFL game, like you know, each week is the same. I don't know, and the emphasis wasn't highlighted. But I just this this winning man. Obviously, we've got it's taken a long time to get back here. And so hopefully with solid showing in the playoff, win or lose, hopefully that can just keep that momentum going for this offseason coming up. And I want I want next season to be I want this season to be the expectations from here on out. And um I mean other than other than the blue pants, man, I wanna see this I wanna see this consistency, man. I don't want every ten years we have to you know, spend our life savings just to enjoy these postseason games because we don't know what we're ever going to see them again, man. We gotta, we got to keep this train going. And, but man, it's it's been a magical season. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And we we've we've talked about this. Everything about this team, we could literally come up with a huge list of everything um, that we've seen this season that just makes this team different mm-hmm. from the from the leadership. From the energy, the mottos that have been that have been expressed, um, the 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 attire, the uh, the uniforms is what I'm getting at there. Uh, the play calling, um, the aggressive play calling, the talent, the talent was off the chain this year. Just everything in general, um, championship level stuff. Let's uh, let's talk about. Because I feel like it is important, and, and it's something that uh, now that this season has not necessarily come to an end, because we still have stuff to play for, but um, the regular season is done. We won a Big Ten championship. We are the best team in the Big Ten conference. Let's talk about what we thought was going to happen, though. Go ahead, and uh, you had the predictions in front of us from from the beginning of the season, correct? Yes, so... Um... <clears throat> When we did our little preview pod back in August, uh, we unanimously thought we were going eight and four. We we went through the schedule game by game when we found four losses, and we found four losses all in the Big Ten. You know, when we hit Western Michigan, we gave that a dub. We didn't didn't expect losing that one. We went to Washington. We gave a dub to that because of uh, the home field advantage that we that we. Uh, you know, handed Michigan obviously with the fans being back in the crowd. That was that played into it. And to you be know, fair, hit, to yeah. to be fair, that we we knew that was a night game. Yep. We we knew it was at home again. Like you said, the energy was going to be back. You, we both assumed that we were beating Western. Um, and then we doubled down on the on the Washington episode. We thought that we were going to win. Um. Mm-hmm. But we, we also said that it was as close to a coin flip game as we were going to play. But then going into the game, Washington had lost week one. So then we, mm-hmm. we doubled down. We knew they were going to win. 
Um, nothing really had changed. Keep going. Right. So then uh, Northern Illinois got to yep. Rutgers. We, we acknowledged that Rutgers was probably going to be a little bit better than last year with Garciano. They, they kind of gave us a strong showing in the second half, got the W, predicted you w. Could argue. You could argue Rutgers played us as good as anybody this year. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy to think? They yeah. played their best game against us, and a lot of people looked down upon us for that. They're like, oh, you barely yeah. beat Rutgers. And we talked about that, I, I, I'm pretty sure, weeks ago as one of the first ugly wins. Yeah. Turns out, yeah, jo- you know, yeah. they're right. Josh Ross, I think, went out in the, the end of the first half of that game, and then when he did, it kind of yeah. changed the, the tone of the second. But Michigan, you know, they, they stiffened up, and then they shut him down. But uh, now we get into the Big Ten. Uh, the heart started the, the real test of here, and we go um, on one of two back-to-back road games, and we – we're not confident in Wisconsin. We gave this one an L, and yep. the complete opposite happened. We kicked the shit out of them, and that was something that Michigan hadn't done in a long, long time. And so that was uh, <laughs> that gave us our next win. Uh, following that was Nebraska. Now, and- time out though. Look, before we go too far, we predicted that as a loss to start the year. And I, yeah. I think look, looking back, we weren't wrong in predicting that from what we knew, what we were going off of. What changed? The energy of this team, the road culture, the what are you doing to beat Ohio State today was evident going on the road to Camp Randall when it hadn't been in a long time, not, at least not under Jim Harbaugh or anybody else. So, Oh, for sure. Um, oh, for sure. It, I don't think we were wrong in predicting that. And I, I do believe, and I, again, I don't have it in front of me, but as it got closer to that game, I do believe that we actually even doubled down and said that we might drop that game. I don't. I guess I don't quite remember. Um, but regardless, keep it going. On the road in Nebraska. So, yep, we go on, on the road in Nebraska. And we kind of chalked this up. This could be a toss-up. Could go either way. And overall, we ended up giving it a, uh, predicting a W. And this is the first game of the season where Michigan really faced adversity and they created a turnover at the end of the game. Brett Hawkins gets the fumble on Adrian Martinez and get the W. And at this point in the season, your nor I thought we were going to go two and zero between those games. And then we hit Northwestern. Northwestern was kind of on the down the season after playing in the big 10 championship last year. Uh, we thought Michigan was going to win close, and outside of one big run play, Ann Arbor uh, from Northwestern, Michigan took care of business and, and, and beat them handedly. Then we got to Michigan State. And this one doesn't sting as much, obviously, because of where we're at right now at the end of the year. But us, you know, it did hurt, but we predicted a slight edge to Michigan here and, and a win, and should have been a win, obviously. But uh, they dropped the soap here. You got any comments on uh, East Lansing? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this one does still kind of hurt, actually. And maybe it's the greedy fan in me. We were a better football team. We are a better football team. We had a big lead. I believe the lead got as big as thirty to fourteen. If I'm if I'm not Oh yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, 30 to 14. 
And I'm sorry, and I, again, I, I'm I'm a hardball guy. I'm a hardball supporter. I've supported him all year, but this was the one time I wanted to just punch him. Like, uh, he put J.J. in late in this game on back-to-back plays, and J.J. fumbled the game away. And I, I don't want to put it on one guy. There's a lot of things. There's some bad ref calls, too. And um, ultimately, it's one of those games that you think to yourself, holy shit, if this game's played tomorrow, we would win this game. Like it's just like, and that's just a terrible feeling to have. You never want to be like, wow, we were the better. And we both said that literally the following pie. We both like, yeah, this one sucks because we're better than them in every way. Um, Going into the season, we thought Michigan State was going to be way worse than what they ended up being. So credit to Michigan State because they ended up putting up together a hell of a season. We didn't give them a shot in hell at being remotely good. And not only were they great, they went undefeated. I believe they they reached nine, eight and zero, or nine and zero before they finally lost the following week after us, and their season um, started to dwindle away. But um, yeah, I mean, looking back, it sucks, but it, it obviously feels better now that we have uh, conquered Ohio State and conquered uh, the Big Ten championship. So absolutely, but, absolutely. Oh, going. All right, and so in the beginning of the season, and not just us, especially not me, and especially me, but we all thought that Indiana was going to be a better program this year after being pretty historic in their school history uh, in 2020. They took took down Michigan. Uh, and by the time this game happened, we were a little bit more confident that Michigan was going to win. But in preseason, we were given the slight edge to Michigan, uh, that being at home, and it ended up being a night game. And, I mean, some people say that Michigan didn't put a complete game together despite, I think, winning 29-7, but – it was that typical that Michigan game where uh, you know Michigan is is running the ball. I think this is the game that Blake Corm got hurt in, and uh, it is. And this this uh, was a good a good bounce back game against Michigan State because you were you were like, man, is this going to be a hangover game? You know, because Tom, you know, Indiana kind of like Purdue, man, they can, they can make something happen when you're feeling, when you're hanging your head a little bit, but Michigan took care of business uh, before happy Valley. Um, Real quick. And then we go ahead. Let me, let me jump in. So one thing I did like about this game and this game is super underrated for many reasons. First off, I think we got the first real taste that this team actually is different. They talk about it. They had done some things beating, beating Wisconsin, was legit beating Nebraska was legit, but then they dropped to Michigan State. What would a typical Michigan team do? Well, that's the season, you know, and they start to drop one, two, three more. Maybe this team put it on their heads. Someone's paying for that loss, and they that was their motto all week. Someone's got to pay. Who's it gonna be? Oh, sorry, Indiana, you looks like you're next up. And you know, this game's in Ann Arbor at night, as you alluded to. is a la- I believe it was announced literally like four days before the Michigan State game. So it was a last-second ad to be a night game. Um, and it was also, I mean, it, it, this game is so weird because it's a it's a, uh, a let-me-up game from Michigan State, but it's also a look-ahead game because Penn State was the following week, correct? After Indiana? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's literally smack dab after a loss, but also in a look ahead game because Penn State had been playing good ball. So the fact that Michigan won that game and won by two or three scores, it's really not talked about enough. I, I, I think this was a huge game. And it was kind of the first part where we were like, yeah, no, everyone's paying for this loss now. We're different. We're, we're, we're buckling down, reach for tightening those chin straps and, and 
let's get back to it. And then I'll let you go back to Penn State there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Penn State. Pre season we were we were thinking close loss and Penn State, yes. I believe, was picked number two or to be number two in the, in our division. Yes. Uh, and this was another one of those games where Michigan's different this year. And, you know, this was one of those classic Michigan-Penn State games in Happy Valley where it's just a dogfight to the very end. And if you go back to, like, I think it was 2013, uh, Allen Robinson went off, went off on our team. Um and that was a game where we should have won. And I think that ended in overtime or right before overtime. I can't remember. I just remember Brown Robinson having a big day. And with this one, we were down late on the road at one of the most hostile environments in the country. And Eric all on an ankle and a half catches a crossing route and takes it to the house. Then Ohio, then Penn State gets the ball and we shut him down and I feel like, again, the mantra is this team's different. I feel like in past in past seasons, we would have probably just put our heads down after going down late and not recovering. Yeah, and before the season, this is this is one that I think we both easily chalked up as a loss because it's just like this isn't a team that this isn't a game that we win, you know. And as this started to get closer. I believe, I'm almost positive, we actually both ended up picking Michigan. And the things that we had seen, and Michigan wins this game, and it was one of those that we had to put a mantra on, um, that we called it ugly. But this was a narrative game. Harbaugh can't win on the road in big environments, and he did it multiple times this year. I think I think Penn State was ranked for this game, if I'm not mistaken. Who knows? But um, ended up being a great win. and in a way to keep uh, catapulting us to, to bigger and better things. And I'll let you keep going here. Absolutely. Um, so we travel to college park and take on Maryland preseason. We said this was going to be a toss up and we gave a lot of credit to uh, Tagovola. Uh, his first name is escaping me right now, but obviously Tagovola's brother from the Miami Dolphins. Yes. And because they, this season, at least, uh, after we got through the, the beginning part of the schedule, we, you know, Maryland's defense was showing that their defense was not great, and they're going to have to rely on the air raid, the passing game. And even before that revelation, we thought that Michigan's secondary would be vulnerable in this matchup. But it turns out we get to College Park. Donald Edwards has his coming out party, and. Michigan has a few tricks up their sleeve this game, even in the special teams department. Getting that uh, that that throw back to AJ Henning and takes it to the house. I think that was in the opening of the third quarter. Could be wrong. Yeah. Um, and get the W here. And again, in preseason, this game looked a little foggy, especially before Ohio State, because Maryland almost made bad things happen to them a few years ago. Yeah, before the season started, one of the reasons I was I was so iffy on this game, and I was, I think I I either predicted it a loss or I said there was a good chance. I don't quite remember. I think I might have predicted a loss. Did I? We we just said toss up. Okay, toss up. We can say it could go either way. Yeah. I just thought Maryland would be a lot better. I liked what they were doing, and they weren't terrible this year, but they weren't what I thought they would be. Um, As the game got closer, though, and we started to um, do our preview for this. 
we we picked Michigan, but I think we were both in agreement that it was going to be a boring game and one that people would probably be considered ugly because we were not going to show our hand going into the Ohio State game. Boy, was I wrong. Like you said, special special uh, special teams trick play. Um, the t- Donovan Edwards, holy shit, is an elite receiver um, game. It'll always stick out there. And Michigan not only wins this game, they dropped the highest point total of the season at 59 points, right? Yep. So um, what a momentum swing in, in what you would assume would be a bad game going into Ohio State. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And, and, and now that we're here in Ohio, obviously we predicted on the table and go to the Big Ten, not us. And we predicted an L here for numerous reasons. And, I mean, it turned out to Ohio State. I mean, maybe not lived up to their fans' expectations because they thought that they were not a shoe win to the to the East title. However, they were expected to be, you know, laying the pipe, so to speak. And we we shut that shit down in a heartbeat. And that's where we're here. We're obviously we're talking forty three conference titles now, not forty two. But we took care of business against Ohio State. You know, going into the game, we did the preview pile with Andrew. We had a little bit of. Uh, you know, not you know, a little non-biased bias action going on, a little give and take, and you know, we we you threw out you threw out the question. He's like, "What if?" You know, what if it does happen? And we we each gave two predictions. We gave one where we think when Michigan wins, this is what's going to be, and if Ohio State wins, what this is going to be. And you know, I think everybody in the media too was was all chalking this up as an Ohio State W. You know, of course, Feinbaum is you know running his you know big ear ball headed ass on ESPN, but you know, Jim Harbaugh quieted, quieted the critics for one weekend, and it turned out to be back to back another weekend this past Saturday, of course. And and this one, this one tasted very sweet. Yeah, before the season, um, one of the things I remember acknowledging is that we didn't know 100% what we were getting from this Ohio State team as far as quarterback play, as far as running back play. We did know that they were going to bring in the elite receivers. We already knew that. Um, we had already seen Garrett Wilson. We had seen Olave. Um, but we predicted them going undefeated, even beating Oregon. We were very high in Ohio State. We basically said this is what they do. It doesn't matter who's going to end up playing quarterback. They're going to be great, which they were. C.J. Stroud played very well this season, is a Heisman candidate. Um, but as the season started to roll around and I started to come around on Michigan and what Michigan had displayed – it it irked me to to and I, you know trying to remain unbiased. Um, I gave two score predictions because I felt there was a formula to be played for Michigan to win the game. Um, and I I don't think it took a genius because it's the exact formula that Harbaugh used. They ran it down Ohio State's throat. We played elite pass rushing defense. Um. The corners played up to par. We gave Ohio State what they wanted through the air, but not on the ground. And and we came away with a huge, huge win uh, and the biggest in probably 10 years. So did we expect it before the season started? No, but I don't think either of us were necessarily shocked on game day. Obviously, it's one of those things where. We, do you think it's possible? Yeah. Do you think it's going to happen? It's hard to say because we'd have so much negativity and so many losses. But um, what if? 
obviously, we didn't predict a Big Ten championship. So we can't even go there because, I mean, you know, there's there's one thing that I always do. And I'm going to bring it up only because it's on my mind right now. But every year before Michigan plays, right around July or August, um, I grab the calendar that we're using in the house mm-hmm. and I write all, all Michigan's games down. I do it every mm-hmm. year. Where they're playing, what times that I know of. And every year I actually write down Big Ten championship game. I always do. Even though I don't write down any others, I always write down the Big Ten championship game. And for the first time ever, that actually meant something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't predict it. It is what it is. Uh, we got it. And I think there's tons of awards to hand out because of it. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, I have a feeling a couple of these, we talked about this potentially, but we're probably going to run into a lot of similarities. This team had some absolute standouts. But... Who is your offensive MVP of this team? Offensively, if Bruce Buffer was sitting in a UFC octagon right now and he was reading out the judges' scorecards, it would be all five judges score this contest, Hassan Haskins. Uh, dude was an absolute freak animal. And not going to New York, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be a Heisman finalist, but because they were splitting carries or whatever, uh, it was it was one A and one B with Corum. But now that you know, after Corum got hurt in that Indiana game, and you know Haskins took over as the bell cow, man, what a what a magical season he's had. He then now is the leading scorer rushing touchdowns in Michigan's history with twenty, and the season's not over yet. Still, possibly two more games. He passed Ron Johnson, I think Tim Biakpatuka, on Saturday. So. The Haskins, for me, one hundred. One hundred percent, it's Hassan Haskins. And before the season, so going back to last season, in, in the very limited role that we got to see, and obviously it was a lot of negativity last year, and the team was really bad. But um, the one bright spot I thought was Hassan Haskins. And the one thing I remember both of us being very critical of was the fact that they were rotating four backs. They were rotating Hassan Haskins, Zach Charbonnet, who now transferred to UCLA, a little bit of Blake Corum, and a little bit of Chris Evans. Chris Evans, obviously the senior of that group, ended up getting his chance in the NFL. Good for him. He had some great issues at Michigan. But um, Hassan was the best in his role. He ended up leading the team in carries, but not by a lot. And I just remember saying, and I... I was very clear about it. This is Hassan's squad. He needs to be the go-to guy. And Michigan ended up doing something that I didn't expect them to do, and they ran two backs, and, and Quorum worked out great. Quorum was fantastic before getting hurt and then ended up having two great games, one against Ohio State, one against Iowa. But I can't say enough about Hassan Haskins. If I had a fourth child, I would name him Hassan. Um, I would run through a brick wall for this man. Uh, I just... Um, he is the epitome of what this team is. Hard-nosed, won't take no for an answer. His, his hurdles this year, his big runs, his pass protection. Overall, I'd say he's the MVP of the team. That's for another discussion. We're just doing offensive and defensive, but um, 
Hassan Haskins in a runaway. Absolutely. Defensive MVP. Again, I have a feeling we're going to agree. Who are you taking here? All right, real quick before I do defensive, Hassan Haskins, I don't want to compare him. I, I know I'm kind of – I don't want to kill our momentum here, but you know what? I, over the season, I'm like, man, he's really good at falling forward and getting those extra yards. Another running he's, back. He's tremendous at that. And another running back who did it really well, which I don't think they have the same run style, but that, but falling forward was Le'Veon Bell at Michigan State. Um 2012, when uh, when Le'Veon Bell at Michigan State was dog shit, the only thing that they really had going for them was the defense. But they could they just, they ran Le'Veon Bell into a nub, but he did a phenomenal job at falling forward. And so even though their running styles are different, I feel like that that's what I can kind of think of when I feel the the little after the contact. But anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. Kill me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, MVP. This decision and Bruce Buffer is saying all five judges score this contest 30 27, 30 27, 30 27, whatever. This is this dude has not single handedly, but is a like one of the biggest reasons why we are where we're at right now. The just making everybody around him better, man. David Ojabo. When we did our preseason podcast, we never even mentioned Ojabo's name, not one time. And no. that duo was just a phenomenal, the, the best thing you could ask for on this defense, especially from last, coming out of what was 2020, the nightmare of. But Aiden Hutchinson, man, the final few, uh, the final end of the season here has just really stepped up and just has been a quarterback's just, Worst nightmare in all your dreams. And so, yeah, I think Aiden Hutchinson, rightfully so, is is a Heisman candidate. I know that's a lot of controversy with him and the, the, the schmuck from Alabama, but this dude means more to this team and has done it in the on the biggest stages. That's why he's in New York. That's why he's my MVP, because when it came to Ohio State, got three sacks. When it came to Penn State, he came up huge with like one or two. Iowa, another one. Almost had three in that, in that game. So, touch, man. 100% defensive MVP is Aiden Hutchinson. We agree here. Um, first off, he has to be. Uh, most sacks in Michigan history uh, in a single season. He's in the Heisman conversation right now. He's heading to New York. Good for him. So happy for him. Uh, by far the best player on the field. With any time, and and that includes a going against the offense. He was the best player on any field he stepped on this year. Um, I do want to point this out because this was brought to my attention. Obviously, the the uh, the kid from Alabama, his last name's Anderson. That everyone's talking about the pass rusher. Um, I want to read you Alabama's four biggest games: Georgia, Auburn, A and M, and Florida. They lost the A and M game, by the way. Um, Anderson had a total of two sacks in those games, two in their four biggest games. Okay. So I'm sorry. I didn't read off New Mexico state who they played, but I did read off their four biggest games. Here's Aiden Hutchinson's four biggest games, Ohio state, Penn state, Iowa, Michigan state. I don't think that's arguable. Those are their four biggest. Absolutely. Aiden Aiden Hutchinson had three against Ohio state, three against Penn state, one against Iowa, one against Michigan state. He had eight sacks in his four biggest games. He played the biggest when it mattered. 
End of argument. Aiden Hutchinson Absolutely. was so Aiden Hutchinson was so big for this team defensively this year. Um, I hated that his touchdown was taken away against Michigan State. We won't even get too much into that. Um, Aiden is, in all actuality, a consensus top five pick in the NFL draft this year. The best defensive player that Michigan's had in uh, in a long time. Great player. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my argument, too, is what I, I text messaged you the other day off air. If the Heisman Trophy was just solely based on stats, then Toby Gerhardt in 2009 wins the Heisman Trophy and not uh, not Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram had yeah. 16, 1,600 rush yards, 16 touchdowns, I believe. Toby Gerhardt had like 1,800 rush yards and 28 touchdowns, 28 rush touchdowns, and he was the runner-up. Yeah. So the stats don't, have, don't tell the whole story, but they tell enough. Especially, or it's it's just it's murky water when you try to do that. And definitely, Michigan Michigan's in Hunterson has stepped up when it absolutely counted. And Anderson, I'm sure he's still going to be a phenomenal player in the NFL. Who knows? But not better than Aiden Hutchinson. This is where things get a little interesting because now we're going to give we're going to give some awards out to players that Willie flew under the radar, but at the same time came up big this season. Who's your offensive most improved player? Um, <coughs> Jimmy Graham. Uh, no, Eric All. Eric okay. All is, is. I'm glad is you my said most Eric. Improved player. Absolutely. We again, we we live and listen to this pod, then you know damn well that Jeff and I have you we know, are ripping him a new one last season because what the praise in camp was to what we've seen on the field was not equal in that match, but this season. One of the biggest contributors on offense. Again, with Michigan's offense, it's not someone different every week. You sure have your your continuous contributions from Hassan Haskins, you know, uh, Blake Corm, Cornelius Johnson. I mean, not even Cornelius Johnson, but however, when it comes to especially the receiving core and a receiving game, you know, each week could be someone different. I mean, there just could be a game where Eric All has one catch for like eight yards, but the next week he is a sole reason why we won the game. Penn State, and I think you probably could name one or two others, but I think Eric Hall is pretty much the consensus. He wasn't my consensus. I actually had him at second. Okay, so I'm glad. Okay, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm glad you said him because I felt, all right. I felt bad that I didn't say him. <laughs> but this player, to me, he was tremendous in. Here's why. There's so much that goes into this. So let me give you some backstory here. Week one, Ronnie Bell gets hurt for the year. Okay. And it was we we knew Cornelius Johnson is that next guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then we talked about who that next guy was. I went back and listened. We both said it was probably AJ Henning. Um we had seen a little bit of Baldwin. We talked maybe or yeah, Baldwin. Roman Wilson. Roman Wilson on 2020 last year in a shortened season had nine catches for 122 yards and one touchdown, averaged about 13 yards a, a catch. Okay. It seemed like Roman Wilson saved this. Like he was so big in the biggest spots. He only had 24 catches, but for 378 yards, almost 16 per catch. Okay. Three touchdowns. He scored. He had two catches for 55 yards in the Ohio State game. So two catches, both of them went for over 20 yards. Okay. 
He had the huge touchdown in the Big Ten championship game. He had the two on the road at Penn State. Um, Roman Wilson was ginormous this year. In a spot where he probably shouldn't have succeeded, he did. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just felt like Roman Wilson was that guy. And down the stretch, you could argue he was the team's best receiver. Mm-hmm. Even over Cornelius all right, I think we're going to disagree again. Do you want me to go first is, on defensive? Yeah, go ahead. I'm, this is good, though. This is good, though. This is, nervous. This is good. <laughs> go ahead. So, in my opinion, there was two, and I hope that you, I hope you take the other one. But, and this one might not be as popular. But in my opinion, I didn't think it was close. Like, I thought this player ran away with it, but there was another player deserving, if that makes sense. Do you remember what player we destroyed last year on defense? Could be Vincent Gray or Jermaine Green. Vincent Gray. Yeah. Do you know whose name we didn't talk about almost at all this year? Vincent Gray. You know why? Because he was fucking phenomenal. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Vincent Gray, if he listened to the pod last year, he probably would be like, oh, my God, these dudes hate us. Truly, like, burnt toast is the term you like to use. He was burnt toast last year. He was the, a lot of the reason that we were so bad. He had zero interceptions this year. He wasn't targeted a ton. People didn't throw at him. Vincent Gray played physical ball. He played great against pretty much all his matchups. There's not a single game where you can find him getting just torched down the sideline. He made the biggest improvement. And... Again, there's another player that has a lot of the stats, and he improved too. Um, but Vincent Gray, holy cow! I mean, one of the one of the one of the bright spots of this defense in what we thought was not going to be as good as it was. I had to take Vincent Gray, but I, you're going to say somebody else, and it, it needs to be this person. So go ahead. <laughs> you, all right, you think so? You think I, you know what I'm going to pick? Absolutely, you got to. All right, sorry. So my most improved is. Uh... David Ajabo? No. Who are you taking? Yeah. Yeah, who are you taking? DJ Turner. DJ Turner. Oh, DJ. Okay. Here's the thing. And I'm I'm glad you said DJ Turner, too. The second didn't get enough love. So I'm glad you. So go ahead. Go ahead. Go in on him. All right, so no, I said I, I, I thought I said DJ Turner was the first time, and you, I don't think you heard me. I don't know, so that's why I was making I, sure you. I didn't hear you. That's why I said, "Did you say Jabo?" So go ahead. Okay, no, no, DJ Turner, man, and that's another corner that preview pod I had mentioned that he was getting a lot of talk amongst the coaches in camp, and he really stepped up. And honestly, He's one of the best in the Big Ten for sure, and maybe the country. And and, uh, and pro football focus is great. I mean, from the Ohio State, from the Maryland Ohio State game, I think even the Penn State game, uh, he was he lit it up. He lit it up, and you know, like like you said, like you didn't hear, we didn't really hear a lot of it because I think the secondary just played really well. Of course, the Ohio State game, the, those three NFL wide receivers put some stats up, but for the most part, man, these this secondary just. I guess in a whole, man, just, I mean, we're literally playing the same guys that we did last year. And it just really, they took off and ran with it. And I think DJ Turner is, 
is rightfully so right there. Um, I, I have him as my dark horse per se, but dude's a baller. He's got our one and I think he's got a our one and only pick six, if I'm not mistaken. He's got yeah. two interceptions on the year. I think he's tied with Dax Hill, and no disrespect to Dax Hill here, but Dax Hill was, was probably already going to be, you know, a day two draft pick uh, this coming up year. But you know, Turner, I'm sure we're going to have him back next year. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not 100 percent sure on his eligibility. I think he's at least a junior or at least a sophomore. I can't. I can't remember. But either way, that's my boy. DJ Turner had a fantastic season, especially because he was not the. Uh the week one starter, he had to earn that spot and ended up getting it. And, uh, and, now, and now he's uh, on the second all big 10 team too. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Obviously people are listening to this and how, how do we not take David Ajabo? David Ajabo had a fantastic season. He had one tackle last year. That was it. One tackle. Um, he ended up having 11 sacks this year. So he was tremendous as well. Um, definitely an improved player and made himself a lot of money someday. All right, last award. Oh, sorry, two more awards. Uh, freshman of the year. There's several answers here. I'll let you start. I'm intrigued. Uh, your, I, I think I'm, I think mine's just going to be kind of easy, and that's uh, Mr. Donovan Edwards, man. Uh, the reason why I pick him to be the freshman of the year is solely on – I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find a comparison to whether it's a former Michigan player or not, but just – being, showing that he can be the do-it-all back. And who knows? I mean, he's probably going to be in line with Corm next year for a one-two punch. That's who we thought we're going uh, or we thought him and Haskins would be the one-two this year in the preview. But um, pass blocking, receiving, rushing, dude's talented as hell. And hopefully Mike Hart can uh, keep this guy progressing forward and being one of the better running backs in the Big Ten. Man, Sky's the limit for Donovan Edwards, man, and I feel like now that Haskins is going to move on to to Sunday, this boy next year with Blake Corum, that, now that that'll be the new Thunder and Lightning, as uh, ESPN likes to say. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it on the head. Um, I stayed away from JJ McCarthy here. Um, Andrew Anthony had a, a fun East Lansing showing, but kind of cooled off. But it, it's in a runaway. It's Donovan Edwards. And Donovan Edwards showcased special without being forced. 75-yard touchdown pass in the Big Ten Championship game. 158 rush yards, three touchdowns. 17 catches for 216 and a touchdown, including um, a the largest receiving yards in a single game by a running back. Um, Donovan Edwards came on the scene slow. He actually yeah. didn't get a lot of touches early in the year because they were really established in Haskins and Corum. Um, and unfortunately for him, Maybe it's big game jitters. Maybe it's just, you know, first time playing in front of 100,000 people. But he fumbled it a couple times in his first several carries. So it was one of those, like, learning lessons. Hey, you're going to sit on the sideline until you get this under control. But uh, the second half of the year, Donovan Edwards was nothing short of an absolute special player when he was on the field and an asset to this team. And you could argue that this team 
maybe doesn't have a Big Ten championship without him. So definitely a great player and earned his role and earned his time. And late in the year, he made the absolute most of it. He's freshman of the year. All right. Now some fun time. Best play of the year. Okay. We both were talking before this. You had told me you had got down to three. I started with ten. And made my <laughs> made my made my way down to three. Didn't want to go any shorter than that. And when you told me you had three, I'm like, okay, good. So let's trade punches here. Okay. Go with what go with number three and work your way to your number one. And I you say three and then I'll say three. So number three for you, what is it? Uh one of the most recent, and that is the Donovan Edwards 75-yard touchdown pass to Roman Wilson. Um, again, that is probably most hype I've ever, you know, one of the most hype moments I've ever been for a Michigan game. And I've seen a lot of Michigan games in person and, and on uh, my fat ass on the couch. But Donovan Edwards throwing a absolute dime. Well, I second that. I have Edwards to Roman Wilson, Big Ten Championship game. Um, what a huge play. What mm-hmm. a huge play. Which I literally just got done talking about Diamond Edwards, so I won't go into it again, but um, that one's going to be replayed in Michigan history for a long, long time. Number two. Want me to go? Go ahead. All right, All right you know, I'll, I'll go, so we'll trade. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This one would be number one if Michigan wins the game. Andrell Anthony, 93 yards to the house. Um, it's probably the loudest that I've reacted to a play potentially ever. Um, I was very hyped for the game, and uh, we had just picked them off in their own end zone or their own air territory, so we're literally on our, we're backed up. I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, I think we had just picked him off. Yep. And a slant route goes to the house. And I remember I'm screaming so loud. My wife literally records it, sends it to me. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) you're so loud. Um, And I didn't even know who scored. I had to look it up. I mean, it was just, uh, it'd be the number one play of the year, in my opinion, if we win the game. But what you got? Well, real quick, too, to, 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 respond to that uh i was i probably one of the loudest i've ever been at my house uh I, there was a lot of fist pumping and air punching going on uh when that happened and a lot of that has to do with my my sheer hatred for the block us um fucking hate michigan state but anyways uh my number two is a, a play that kind of alluded to earlier and that's eric all's 47 yard touchdown from k mcnamara to uh, pull late in the head against uh penn state man i thought um, obviously because far away and it's a tight end. And obviously you don't really normally see a, a tight end speed get to that, that level. And for him to literally take it from, I think our side of the 40 all the way to the, you know, you know that'd obviously be more than 50 yards, but, uh, we were damn near obviously at midfield and with the bum ass ankle, he stretches the ball over at the very end and, that propels us, and it get, and we escaped Happy Valley from what would have been a pretty, pretty sour taste uh, if we lost. What's number one? 
my day of the year. And they're, while they're while it's not one of the most I don't want to say most exciting of the whole season, but set the tone for the latter half or the mid part of the, the, the Big Ten schedule. And it really gave you a sense of hope of man, man this team is is making plays when it has to. And this is going to come down to in Lincoln at Nebraska. And at the very end of the game, Adrian Martinez fumbles the ball on a strip and Brett Hawkins uh, gets the fumble recovery. And that ices this Nebraska game away. And we talked about it in our post-game pod, actually. That game was in fashion set up to where the stats are in favor of Michigan, but they are going to be the catalyst and, and the reason why they that, this is going to be the catalyst the reason why they lose that game. Scott Frost hasn't beaten a ranked team yet. Was like owing a bajillion or whatever against you know Big Ten games and so and so against Michigan, and I felt like man that's just a bad recipe, especially when the announcers just keep repeating it all game long. I'm like man. They're they're gonna they're gonna beat Michigan and it's gonna right their ship and we're gonna be the stepping stone for those assholes. But we worked. They got the fumble. We knew that Adrian Martinez was gonna be that that uh, he has that turnover bug. What even though he's a playmaker, he can he can cough the football up and he did. We sealed the W there and again we got two road victories back to back that no one no one especially us thought we were gonna do. Great play, great moment, uh, great part of the season. Um, but for me, the number one play of the year, um, and I thought we literally picked the same play by what you had said initially, but uh, <laughs> this play set the tone for what makes this a championship football team. Okay. Um, Michigan's at home. Last home game of the year against your bitter rival, and you got to start fast. And you got to get this one in the end zone. And Michigan runs a Statue of Liberty reverse play to A.J. Henning. A.J. Henning following his blockers and shoves himself down the sideline into the end zone for a touchdown. First off, the fact that it was a trick play, the fact that it was one of the things that we alluded to going into the game, like you got to get your wide receiver um, edge, edge rushes. And uh, A.J. Henning has been that big play kid all year. Um, he didn't turn out to be the receiver we thought he was going to be. But as a playmaker, he was as good as anyone this year and really isn't talked about nearly as much as he should probably be. Um, and I thought he made a huge play. And every time I see it in your hype videos, I get fucking like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was also one of those moments where it was the first touchdown of the game. And I just remember we're watching the game together and I just remember thinking to myself today might be the day today might be the day and not only was it the day it's the season AJ Henning all right so I know everyone's probably like they didn't talk a lick of Michigan Georgia yeah you guys we gotta leave you starving we gotta give you that taste you gotta be looking forward to it we got a couple more weeks before that game's even here we don't want to. We don't want to feed you now. We got to let you starve for it, so that when we drop that, you're ready to eat. <laughs> it, it will. It will be doing Michigan hoops too, so we won't be. It yeah. won't be, be completely dead. Yep. 
Yeah, actually, you know, big win for Michigan last night on the road at Nebraska. They dropped a hundy. Ryan Day couldn't even do that. So, um, well, uh, you got anything else in closing? Yes. Let me. Um, I, I'm kind of. I'm glad I didn't uh, push for it because I, I didn't want to kill our momentum earlier. But since we didn't do any mailbag, we didn't really have a, a big one this week. Yeah. Um, three stat off air, and since I already gave you one of the names i'm gonna see if you can if you want to if you want are you interested in maybe guessing the other three in front of hassan haskins yeah so give me the give me the stats so everybody can hear okay it. so everybody so again the question was uh according to pro football focus the most rushing first downs among power five players in the last seven seasons and i think this is because this was one of the first time pro football focus was really jotting down little anecdotes like this so most rushing first downs among power five players since 2014. Uh, rounding out the bottom here, the top of the list, 101 is Leonard Fournette in 2015, and Hassan Haskins uh, right there with him tied from this season, 2021. The third place, second, and first place. Let's start with number three. Who do you think is in front of Hassan Haskins? So this is any running back from 2014 till now with the most first down rushes in the power five 2014 till now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Ezekiel Elliott. We actually have one big 10 running back left, but it's not Ezekiel Elliott. This one is, is it Saquon Barkley? No, uh, I'm sorry. The, uh, in this list is a Big Ten running back. However, the next one here is not. So it's not a Big Ten running back who's at number three. Give, and it, give me the give me the conference. Let's make Big this easy. Twelve, Big Twelve, and a hundred and three uh, rushing first downs. Big Twelve. You know, I almost said this running back first, but I thought he'd be higher. Is it Chuba Hubbard? It is not. You want me to give it to you? Yeah. Who is it? Da- Dante Foreman from Texas in 2016. Wow. Okay, I would have never got that. All right. <laughs> no, that one was hard. That one was hard. All right. Yeah, so, that is hard. So who's number right, two? So or have... not, don't tell me number two. Tell me the conference. So this next one is the Big Ten, 108 first down rushes. And it's it's not Zeke. It's not Barkley. Correct. Correct. Man, I almost don't even have an answer for this. Not Zeke. No. Oh, is it J.K. Dobbins? No. Wow. Is it a Buckeye? Nope. Okay, give me the school. Camp Randall. Oh, my gosh. It's fucking Jonathan Taylor. It's Jonathan Taylor with 108. Yep. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm okay. so embarrassed. Yeah, I should have known right. Taylor. All right, uh, number one. Number one, with 126 rushing first downs in 2015, this running back is from the SEC. 2015 SEC. Yes. Oh, you probably didn't even need to give that to me. Is it Derek the King Henry? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes. So, I just thought it was a fun stat to throw out there, especially when we're talking to Son Haskins as our MVP. Again, he's tied 101 with Leonard Fournette from 2015 uh, at LSU, and he at least has one game left to do it. And it's not like it's like a – I got you stat, but it's just something cool. And obviously the, the, the pro football focus people um, just, they stat everything. And nowadays, so I saw that across my Twitter feed. I'm like, I'll bring that up in the pod Wednesday. Yeah. All right. Well, 
that uh, that'll wrap her up. We got hoops coming. We got a holiday weekend coming, and then we will be back at the end of the month to talk. Oh boy, can't believe this is real. The college football playoff, Orange Bowl, Michigan, Georgia, and we'll probably talk a little bit of Bama and Cincinnati as well. Obviously, we wouldn't do you guys dirty like that. So, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you're a Michigan fan, congratulations on um, a remarkable season, a Big Ten championship. And I uh, hope you guys are digging what we're doing. Dan, anything else? Uh, other than Spartans can eat shit, go blue. Spartans can eat shit. Fuck Ohio. We are the elite of the elite. We are Michigan, the team, the team, the team. Let's go blue. We out. Real talk.